Real love versus false love. Why did your last relationship really fall apart? Culturally, we've learned to love a certain way, but does it work? Dr. Richard Cookerly, a relational psychotherapist and co-author of the book Real Love versus False Love, breaks it down for us. We'll hear the difference between real love and false love, why we should care, and the problems associated with false love, including your sex life. You're listening to Pushing Boundaries with TNA. I'm T. And I'm Welcome to another show of exciting (laughs) (laughs) self-exploration. Okay, so I'm really excited about this topic. I'm geeking out a little bit (laughs) because this has been so relevant to my life in the last couple years for sure. Yeah, I think that after kind of the 20s, like, you know, we're both late 20s, early 30s. I mean, what? We're like on the cusp. We're on the cusp. (laughs) (laughs) I just, uh, I've had like a couple of relationships now that I'm looking at, you know, reflecting on as I consider committing to a new person. And it's like, you know, what was working, what wasn't and why? And sometimes you just feel really lost. Like I feel like I'm swimming. I don't always have the answers. So it was kind of amazing to read Dr. Cookley's material. I know he's a gem and I found him on the internet when I was researching uh, some other stuff. And I, you know, and T and I, we were talking earlier about why, uh, why we're so excited to be talking with him. And for me, you know, it relates back to this experience where I feel I've, I've been developing this sort of theory based on my experience that I feel like the majority of the world, and this may sound cynical, but I don't Mm -hmm. think so. I think it's just what I see, but I feel like, the majority of the world really does operate from this sort of false love perspective. And I have been deciding for myself and realizing even I even ended a relationship over it where I'm like, this isn't love. This isn't, it's not the kind of love I want anyway. And I know this is normal and whatnot, but you know, here I was deciding whether or not to be in this relationship a while ago. And you know, he's, this man was lovely and he's like, I love you, but I love you and I love you. And I'm like, yeah, but, but why? Like, so I asked him why. And he's like, well, it's just the way you make me feel and the way me, 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 me. And Mm. I'm like, that has nothing to do with (laughs) your love for me. I'm like, I don't even know if you see me and really know who I am. I don't, this isn't, I don't know. There's something wrong here. So uh, anyway, that, that sort of has, has yeah well it feels also like for me I, I look at my childhood it's like I've never been taught how to love like the vocabulary there's been never been any sort of vocabulary for it and and culturally we're just sort of thrown in and well we're told certain specific points I think that and and sexuality is one of them like this focus of monogamy and and the idea of I don't know they're like symbols of it but you're not being taught how to actually give love in a way that supports and builds maybe I mean, maybe some people are lucky to receive that kind of education, but <laughs> I think it's like fend for yourself, which yeah, is, it but has a fend for, yes, fend yeah, for yourself, which is why. So I want to introduce um, Dr. Richard Cookerly, who's with us, because he's going to explain all of this and bring some light to it. I love the way he's so able to define everything and I'll put all these crazy thoughts and feelings in my head concisely onto paper where I can read it and you can read it too. (laughs) Hello, Dr. Cookerly. Welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be with you. (laughs) Does this all sound pretty uh, standard for you? Well, uh, I've heard most of this before, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dr. Cookerly, you have 35 plus years of experience in couples as a couples therapist. Analysis of this. 
That's right. That's a lot of experience. And, and so you co-authored the book Real Love versus False Love, which is a, a, it's a new ebook that was just released a few days ago. Go and grab mm-hmm. it. It's, you can find it on his website. It's whatislovedrcookerly.com. And you, co- right. you co-wrote it with your partner, correct, Karen McLaren? Right. We have been partners with each other for 40 years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Did you, and you both uh, studied, psych, I don't know, psychotherapy, this kind of thing? Like, is that also her her passion? Or? Yeah, what's your Her background, background is a psychiatric nurse. Okay. Oh, psychiatric. Okay, great. And so how did this come about? For I mean, were you always interested in this line of work? Um, or did you sort of evolve into relational psychotherapist or couples therapist? What's your background a little bit? Well, I got into this uh, probably uh, with two big factors. Um, I came from a family in which my parents uh, had all sorts of problems with each other, and it was very, very difficult. Of course, I didn't really admit that to myself at first. But then when I uh, was majoring in psychology and then uh, went into uh, my internship um, and then later my residency, I got this job at a psychiatric hospital handling intake. And everybody had a love problem, so I began to look at uh, what in the world is all this love problem stuff. Like people were uh, brought to the hospital because they attempted suicide, and we had a lot of those, and... Uh, I'd ask them why, and they'd say, well, she doesn't love me anymore, he doesn't love me anymore, something wow. about love, my family hates me, they don't love me, uh, I loathe myself, I don't have any self-love, and on and on it went, but always this word love kept popping up, so I started getting into it, and I realized I was getting into it for some very personal reasons also. Mm-hmm. My early love experiences were disasters, <laughs> and uh, that helped me... Uh, go looking for what in the world uh, is this love stuff all about and what am I going to do with it. And uh, from there, I started uh, also doing research and uh, learning that uh, there was indeed a lot of what I now call uh, false love, which is really a, an older idea that is we're sort of bringing that back, back about 7,500 years ago. People understood there were a lot of false loves, and it was hard to get to the real thing, but somehow that idea sort of faded. And uh, in our research, we have discovered an awful lot of people fail at love because, as we see it, they're in a false love syndrome, a false love pattern. We've identified 12 of those, Mm -hmm. and... um, in my practice, it does a lot of people a lot of good to look at the false love issues and the real love issues and then see if they can start practicing more and more of the behaviors that go with real love. So that's can, a lot of answer for you. That's but, a, and, that's and it's there. wonderful. We're eating it up. So uh, can you def- maybe you could define, I guess, real love versus false love or perhaps show or share some of the more prominent examples of false love that you see? Sure. I'm, I'm real pleased with our working definition of love. Different people have different um, ideas about love, um, but we've got what is um, pretty much a working definition. Uh, the brain surgery people um, have different ideas, brain scientists. <laughs> uh, but uh, we kind of include some of that. But healthy, real love is defined as a powerful, not weak. Some people think love is weak. Powerful, vital, that's number two, the second big point. Vital means 
life-giving and life-sustaining, people uh, begin to die without love. Mm. It's a natural process. We know that because the limbic system, the neurochemistry, and the neuroelectrical system, some people think, uh, operates differently when there's real love happening as opposed to false love or no love. It's a natural process of highly valuing another, which makes you desire for, and when possible, act for, and take pleasure in the well-being of the love. That's Designing the... for, acting for, and taking pleasure in the well-being of the loved uh, applies to all forms of love. Couples, families, friendship, love, self-love, comradeship. Uh, and recent research shows it seems to be showing up for all mammals and maybe birds. And some very recent um, research, uh, it may have existed 100 million years ago amongst the dinosaurs. Wow. Wow. Aw, little dinosaurs. <laughs> Honestly, that's, that's, I think that's the best definition of love I've come across. Um, yeah. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. No, it's uh, very concise. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah, it's so clear and such a great reminder. Uh, so what about false love? Well, false love uh, is kind of the opposite. It turns out to be weak, fades quickly and easily, doesn't provide lasting relationships uh, usually. Uh, it's not about life-giving and life-sustaining. Uh, some of it may indeed be a natural process. Um, the evolutional psychologists think that false love evolved because uh, it gets a baby born and taken care of for two to four years, and then it fades away, um, especially in the false love called limerence. Does that happen? Uh Oh, my God, our yeah. eyes are bugging out right now. <laughs> yeah. Mostly in false love, the desire is for, if I have false love for you, I desire you to uh, act for and uh, take pleasure in me and see after my well-being. In most forms of false love, uh, it's kind of a selfish thing. I want your love more than I want to give you my love. Right. That's probably the biggest uh, essential difference in all the major forms of false love. Um, it's very much a feed me, help me do my stuff, uh, and I might do yours just to keep you involved, but um, not nearly as much interest to me as what you do for me. It's always trying to get something out of somebody um, rather than a more mutual kind of uh, interaction between two people. So it really does sound like selfishness versus selflessness. Well, that's an underlying theme. Some of the forms of false love don't have quite so much of that, and others have that terrifically. Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I like that you just said that because I was just thinking, I've had a lot of conversations with friends about, you know, the kind of structures when you're dating someone going, well, but they broke this rule. Like they didn't call when they said they would. And now, you know, I don't like being treated that way. And that shows me they don't care. And, you know, like kind of creating uh, structures, but the, but the, they're not having the honest conversation about why they feel hurt or what's, what's upsetting them. Um, and mm -hmm. I, and I, yeah. And so I wondered, you know, I've been trying to practice more of an idea of like giving freely, like I desire to give you this. So rather than censoring it because I'm waiting for you to do this and then you deserve that, I'm trying to just like erase that and go, you know what, I have this impulse and I want to give to you. Um, but mm -hmm. but that can be 
also taken advantage of exactly. right exactly it's sort of hard to imagine like i mean i think i'm going through this actually too with a friend right now <laughs> where it's like trying to okay well yes if i were buddha i suppose perhaps i would be able to stay in this friendship or dynamic and just love you regardless of all of this shit that you pile <laughs> on me but um I, you know, I have other friends who are saying that's not good for you, Stephanie. You need to like create boundaries. So I find myself very torn between wanting to be altruistic and loving and selfless and be thoughtful for her. Like she needs love because she's messed up, you know, in so a, in I a place of uh, right in a place of but yet, lack. How how can we exist? You know what I mean? So it, is there where do you draw the line? Or can well, you? let me comment on that. Sure. Um, the ancient admonition is to love others as you love yourself, and it turns out that that is indeed a very important way to look at it. The people who don't sufficiently love themselves and take care of themselves uh, aren't very good at loving others because they're usually very needy. It's very important to keep it equal. Uh, it's, it's not a quid pro quo or a tit-for-tat kind of thing, but... Um, we have to include healthy self-love along with love of another for it to be a healthy relationship. Think about if we love others and not ourselves, put ourselves last, as a lot of people uh, teach, we're the loser. If we love others and not ourselves, we don't do well. But if we love ourselves and not others, if that's the way it's weighted, uh, they're the losers. But if we keep it equal, if I love you, and then I also, at the same time, love myself, no losers. Everybody benefits. Everybody wins. And that often is kind of a recipe for good, healthy, long-lasting love relationships. So what what does false love look like to you? How do you most commonly see it? Because I feel like a lot of us, myself included, um, we think that we're participating in real love. But are we really? So can you sh maybe show some examples? Like, I, I guess, relationship patterns or behavioral well, patterns? Well, yes. We, yeah. Now we have to start talking uh, about the different kinds of false love because each of them look pretty different from each other. If somebody has uh, the one that well, most everybody has heard about, they made a movie about it called Fiddle Attraction Syndrome. <laughs> Well, yeah. it uh, it looks like dangerous. That's what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a rare but a horrible uh, form of false love. Um, I worked with um, uh, a false love situation one time in which the woman had a false love, fatal attraction syndrome type um, for this guy who was married and had two kids. And so uh, she followed him around with her car and and tried to drive over all of them at one particular point. She hoped to get killed in the thing because she was quite sure that she and he were meant to be together in eternity, and that was the way to get to eternity, is kill them and uh, kill her lover along with herself in prison. She explained all that. Wow. She did manage to maim one of the children, probably for life, and uh, injured the rest of them uh, for um, a good long time. They had a lot of hospital bills and so forth. That's a good example of how false attraction looks. Wow. That's thrown. <laughs> wow. Uh, in the beginning, most forms of false love look about like uh, happy having fallen in love. 
I like to say that most falling in love ends like every other fall that ends in a crash. Mm-hmm. Much better is growing in love. Growing in love. Uh, people who uh, fall in love uh, may not be in love at all, but in um, some form of false love. And it's ecstasy, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and it's marvelous for a while, but if the false love, it will then begin to fail. Uh, the most... Um, common to young people form of false love is called the IFD syndrome, which I stands for idealization. You idealize somebody, you see somebody as perfect, wonderful, made in heaven just for you. But then as the relationship goes on, you begin to see things that don't fit your ideal and you get frustrated, usually angry. Sometimes uh, a lot of fights begin to happen in that phase. And then eventually you realize you don't have your ideal. No one does. No one has an ideal, perfect other. Right. And so you get depressed. Um, one study that I was involved in uh, in a psychiatric hospital that handled a lot of college students, uh, 18% of the serious suicides uh, were uh, people in IFD patterns. And we discovered if you just keep a person um, alive for about six weeks in the D phase of an IFD pattern, they... And it suddenly fades and goes away, and then they come out of it, and they wonder what in the world they were so upset about. Um, wow. So the patterns uh, can look pretty different from person to person, but the start of it usually is like all wonderful and marvelous, like all the love stories say. Well, let me let me ask something. So, uh, okay, so with real love, I imagine whether you when you meet anybody, even if it's you have a real love situation. Well, hold on. Okay. Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'm ready to jump in. So, hold on. so then like, it's still, um, uh, there's still going to be butterflies and, or, you know, really wonderful, warm feelings. I, I find it hard to imagine meeting someone that you could grow into love with or have a really wonderful dynamic with that you, that those warm, wonderful feelings aren't there. But it's interesting that you bring up, so this last situation that I, um, is it ideal? Is that? Idealization. Ideal, the idealization. Idealization leads to frustration, leads to demoralization and depression. Right. Wow. And so I have discovered that, um, that I've been doing that a lot. And I've been, I've been working on that through the years. And what I've discovered was an inability to accept people for what they are and also accepting myself for what I am. And so developing the muscle um, to, I suppose, see, accept people's faults, which then ultimately is rooted in accepting my own faults. So I guess I'm trying to define, is this a path toward, can you transform false love into real love? Or is there, what's the yeah, do you need process to- internally or the difference uh, th- is there a different intention or a different place that you come from? Is this clear? This what? Isn't clear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused. My no, no. Can I, I think we're saying the same thing. I'm just like, okay, I, and this has been an issue for me as well. Like, yeah, you idealize someone, you meet someone and you're like, wow, sparkly eyed. And then it's like, how do you make, how do you make sure that develops into real love rather than, than false love? I mean, it, it seems like real love is almost, applicable well, to anyone. I can help you with that. Um, one of the big factors in real love, uh, real healthy uh, love, is tolerational love. There's um, 
eight major groups of behavior that the social psychologists have discovered that uh, help give love across to another person. And one of those groups is titled tolerational love. When you have healthy real love, it's highly tolerant, but maybe not of destructive behavior, but other things that are just annoying or difficult or different in you. It's also very full of self-disclosure. And false love is usually not full of self-disclosure. It's usually got all sorts of secrets and things that are hidden and operates kind of usually in the best foot forward, hide the other one kind of way. Hmm. But um, in tolerational love, uh, we sometimes even come to like the things that annoyed us in the first uh, place. And uh, uh, they become kind of like unique little reminders of who's there. Uh, lots of toleration of uh, differences, lots of appreciation. Another great big group of behaviors, super important ones, is the affirmational love behaviors. In healthy real love, there's affirmation of the other person as they looking for what you can appreciate, appreciating it, enjoying it, finding it um, adorable or cherishing it, and... Uh, loving the person for it, and uh, rewarding them for it with praise, thanks, um, various uh, statements of compliment. Uh, in uh, false love, there's not much affirmation. There's a desire for affirmation and affirmational statements and actions, but not much giving of it. There's not much honest self-disclosure. There's not much toleration. And the other great big category that goes with that uh, group of behaviors is called receptional love. In healthy self-love, when love comes your way from another, there's good reception, good understanding, good noticing, good perceiving of it. And uh, then usually uh, some act that shows that you received it. In false love, usually the receptional love breaks down and uh, uh, turns into just a kind of a desire for more from the other person, always more. Mm. Um, does that help? Yes, it does. And I'm like, my mind is going through yeah. all my relationships <laughs> and my own behavior as well. Right. Um, Flooding so, forward. Dr. Cookley, we're going to take a break real quick. Uh, you can find Dr. Cookley's work at whatislovedrcookley.com and grab his ebook, Real Love versus False Love, as well. We'll be back in just a second. Hello, we are back with Pushing Boundaries with TNA. I'm T. And I'm A. You can see, uh, check out our website, pbwithta.com. And we're talking with Dr. Cookerly, who uh, has written a book, Real Love, False Love, um, with his partner. Karen McLaren. Yeah. McLaren, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, so go check it out. It's great. All of we're having eye-opening, kind of somewhat painful realizations about our past <laughs> relationships. <laughs> and by the way, I just wanted to mention also on Dr. Cookley's website, there's like over 100, about 150 or so mini love lessons that you can read for free online. And they're, they're all so helpful. amazing. 
Read yeah. them. <laughs> it's funny. I, I I always felt like I sort of have, it's like 50-50. When I listen to Dr. Cookley talking, I have moments of success with real love, like in a long-term relationship I had. And then there are, of course, the ones where I go, oh, yeah, I, I started to become focused on me or, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, does anyone ever get it right all the time? I mean, how do we walk the line? Do you tape them to your door to make sure you're checking in with yourself regularly? Uh, well, um, there's some other big differences you might want to know about. One of uh, one of those is the five to one ratio. In healthy real love, uh, it's been discovered that um, whenever there's a difficulty, and there's always difficulties, no relationship is perfect. Um, for some reason, healthy love uh, tends to get the needed uh, five to one ratio to happen, which means that if there's a minute spent in difficulty, there's five minutes going to be needed to be spent in uh, somehow repairing, healing, helping, um, doing healthy real love action. Hmm. And uh, that those minutes are going to have to have a similar intensity to the intensity of whatever went wrong. In most forms of false love, um, so far as we know, and there's a lot of research yet to be done on all this, but in most of those, that does not happen. Usually the ratio is more uh, one-to-one, one-to-two, something like that. Often the anti-love, we can call it, actions uh, take more minutes than the real love actions. And uh, that's a great big difference in a way that you can begin to uh, tell. Now, there are difficulties in couples' lives which take a bunch of time, and it's mostly difficult for a while. But in the uh, long range, uh, in healthy real love, uh, the five-to-one ratio holds, and in false forms of love, uh, mostly does not. I think about our current culture, um, like I guess we'll stay with American culture, um, which is very... uh, I would say focused on time and finances, right? So a lot of people don't have, quote, don't have enough time for everything and also feel financially stressed or there's financial disparity in the relationship, these kinds of things. I mean, I feel like these would be common themes that come up. You know, is the answer to simplify your life? I mean, you have to do less in order to give more attention to each other. Is that something, you know, to make sure you're giving five to one? The, um, the time factor is real important, um, and it especially ruins a, a kind of uh, false love um, that goes by the title um, uh, Boss Acquirement Syndrome. What is a lot of uh, people uh, feel the need to acquire a spouse, mm-hmm. and... Um, they after after they get the spouse that's required, they put them on the shelves and don't give them much time. You see, a spouse acquirement syndrome show up um, in the, oh along about the last semester of high school or college when a whole bunch of people feel like they have to get married and so they go find somebody and they marry them. Uh, it happens uh, quite often, even worse, where uh, having a spouse is required for a job promotion. In a lot of the higher-end kind of stuff in many a corporation, Uh, if you don't have a spouse, you're not going to get promoted. I have a friend Uh, who wore a wedding ring. But it's still true in a lot of places. Yeah, no, a friend would wear a wedding ring to events. He would (laughs) would think he was married, so he'd look older. 
Anyway, go ahead. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't, uh, to... I didn't quite hear that last part. Oh, I was just adding that a friend would wear a wedding ring to events that he attended so that people would think he was married oh, for the yeah, reason you're right. talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you, Rachel. <laughs> that seems like a healthier way of addressing the situation. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's better than having a false and therefore probably a bad marriage. That's true. Um, Dr. Dr. Cookerly, um, I, I guess I, I wanted to ask why we should care about this. Why we should, because it sounds like a lot of work to engage in real love and a lot of time and energy and self-inquiry and just a lot. So what's the benefit? Why, why should we care? Well, the first benefit is your ongoing life depends on it. That's... Love is very healthy. Non-love and anti-love can kill you. Especially uh, does it kill little children, uh, and it was discovered a long time ago that if you take care of a child perfectly, except you don't give it the behaviors of love, it dies of a failure to thrive illness. Wow. If you give uh, love uh, on a very erratic schedule, there was a bunch of studies done uh, in Massachusetts, um, uh, uh, the hospital, major hospitals, in which they discovered what's called psychosocial dwarfism. Uh, Massachusetts General um, um, pediatricians came up with that. And uh, what was discovered was children turn into dwarves if they're uh, loved, uh, like only on the weekends when they get to be with their parents, if their parents have to be away, and so there's some other caretaker and it's not very loving around. So it affects their growth. Um, Wait, their physical to growth. Metabolize, uh was part of that. So uh, you could feed them, but they'd still starve because they couldn't metabolize without love behaviors being experienced. Oh. Uh, so why care? Because uh, love is vital. Because it has to do with your life. We begin to malfunction without healthy love. Um, in uh, adults, it can lead very much, um, a lot of evidence suggests, to depression, and that can lead to suicide. Um, other kinds of difficulties, good, healthy self-love uh, will make your immunity mechanisms work better. Good receptional love will increase uh, your T-cell development. There's a whole bunch of health benefits to healthy real love and a whole bunch of health problems with false love. You know, and I wonder also about the link with heart disease, because I feel like I think there's been some I mean, it's one of the biggest killers, if not. Is it the biggest killer? And um, and I know there's been links. I don't know how scientific these uh, these studies were that I'm referring to. But um, but there's a, you know, a link between heart disease and love and our emotions and our our state of mind and being. And I wonder if that's an indicator that we aren't loving very purely as a nation as a world so i just don't i don't know i well can i say also i i do feel like and maybe this is anecdotal but personally in my relationships when things were not going well i I had physical side effects i think especially for women like our our reproductive organs that kind of thing like your menstruation all this like there are side effects Mm. um like an increase of yeast infections and utis that kind of thing that's a personally but I think that's something to look at. And so, Dr. Cookerly, you had mentioned something that I thought was really interesting. The uh, the link between 
some of the, um, uh, I guess, sexual problems that can happen in the bedroom with uh, behaviors that are more false love based. Can you talk about what you see there? Well, yes. Um, there are a lot of sex problems that come with false love, um, the biggest of which is um, loveless sex. To have ongoing sex with somebody, it usually requires um, love mixed with sexuality and an understanding of how the two are different from one another, but how they can be mixed. In false love, quite often there may be great sex. One of the uh, forms of uh, false love, thrill and threat bonding, uh, particularly uh, gets people to do um, pretty wonderful, incredible sex. But for lasting relationships, it has to have love woven into it. So in false love forms of most kinds, um, uh, the sex becomes loveless and it becomes um, sort of a profile of what might be called junk food. It's not really um, uh, nourishing. Um, love is, is kind of like a food. It energizes people. It's also like a medicine. It cures and there's an awful lot of people who think they've fallen in love, and um, especially with love lost confusion. And uh, it's sad for them that uh, their sex life diminishes, and they try to sometimes liven it up one way or another. But for a lasting relationship, they also have to include and weave in a lot of real love. And uh, they've got to know what the behaviors of love uh, are or come across that somehow and begin to weave those in with the behaviors of sex. Wow. So, you know, it's it, whenever I hear those silly articles, it's like, spice up your sex life. Try this. Do this different. It makes me want to vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it does. And it's like, none of this shit's going to work. Stop. Yeah. But but what I love, I love what you're saying, which is, I you know, what I'm hearing is, if you really want to liven up your sex life, dig in and learn how to love, uh, really love. Yeah. And, and bring motivation. that into the bedroom. And, and, and I... I think motivation and inspiration and creativity will come from that. Exactly. I love it. Um, yes, there's, there's a bunch of people who... Yeah, think that, well, we've got to do all these wild and incredible and more stimulating sexual things. And that has some value once in a while. Sure. But again, for a lasting relationship, uh, it's going to have to have love behaviors and sex behaviors woven together, or it's probably going to start to go downhill. I think also for me, I, I resonates with like it's meaningless without intention. And then I guess intention really is rooted in the conversation we're having now about about real love and and giving that kind of support just to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, people uh, in a good with a good love based therapist can usually, especially if they're trained in sex therapy too. Uh, can usually begin to learn that um, they can do the behaviors of love uh, and that that does indeed increase the intimacy, the closeness, the bonding, all the good parts, as well as the sexuality. Um, I, I just wanted to check in with you on time. Are, we're about five minutes over. Are you okay? Cause I, yeah, I, I Okay, great. I have, I have a question that's swimming around, and I kind of like don't want to go there, but I think we should go there. And that's (laughs) that, um, especially for our listeners, like, uh, you know, what's, I don't think this is what you're saying, but I just want to clarify, or or maybe you are, I don't know. But um, 
how does monogamy fit into this? And are there uh, not rules, but I guess part of me is afraid, oh, God, he's going to say that kinky sex or non-monogamy or any of these alternative things that people are exploring is are just um, symptoms of not loving real like really being engaged in real love and i i just maybe wanted you to comment on that okay (laughs) um around the world and throughout history there's all sorts of different patterns of sexuality and uh they get woven with all sorts of forms of false love and real love there are lots of healthy real loving people who do not uh go by the uh, Western world standard of monogamy much, and uh, there are those who do. Um, it's kind of something, it's sort of like um, like uh, a candlelight dinner is a great expression of great love, uh, but you can also get um, a hamburger at McDonald's. Um, <laughs> um, if um, there are people uh, in the world who... Uh, do things sexually extremely differently than our monogamy standard and are quite successful at it. And uh, parts of the Western world, too, the Scandinavians seem to do quite well with lots of multiple sex partners, whether people are married or not, and they stay married if they are, and uh, they stay bonded if they're doing an unofficial marriage. And uh, there's no big trouble. French have their separate vacations um, kind of thing, and... uh, at least at certain spheres of, of French life, and uh, uh, they come home from having had sex with somebody on a separate vacation and show pictures of them, and sometimes they all get together and uh, uh, have dinner. There's uh, In Germany, there's uh, Oktoberfest, and mm-hmm. if you have sex with other people besides your spouse in Oktoberfest in Bavaria, well, it's not grounds for divorce or much of anything else. And uh, the differences uh, are all over the place. Um, there are um, false love problems that uh, get involved with sexuality and multiple sex and monogamy and uh, those issues. Uh, cheating increases uh, tremendously with false love syndrome, but that's because it's, it's kind of like eating junk food. It's kind of like uh, you don't get nourished by false love. So you begin to go looking for somebody else somewhere else, and uh, that's a big problem with a bunch of forms of false love. Hmm. So yeah, some? so it's not so it's not what you're doing; it's how, is what. It, Pretty much, yeah, yes. right. Right. Well, I think that's a big thing that we were talking about before we spoke with you, Dr. Crookerly, about um, almost like having the wrong conversation. Like our, I feel like so many of us in American culture specifically are growing up with this idea of monogamy and commitment. And if you break this sexual bond, then there's betrayal. That's grounds for divorce. I mean, even in some states, it's still on the books, right? Adultery is... Um, is uh, sure, yeah. right <laughs> is criminal. Um, so yeah, the, the great problem with most of um, sex outside of the marriage bond, um, legal marriage bond, anyway, um, usually is uh, all wrapped up with deception, lies, secret, um, uh, the betrayal of secrecy, and uh, that's usually what causes the most problem. It's not the penis in the vagina issue. It's the uh, telling lies and deceiving somebody issue. 
Can I ask you, so I had touched on this a little bit before when I asked about time also, but, um, and maybe this is specific to something I experienced, but this idea of American culture and financial disparity in a relationship, um, it's kind of a niche topic, but do you have thoughts on, you know, how does, like, that seems also like uh, how versus what, and like people kind of having the wrong conversation about it. Well, it is one of the it. biggest pr- uh, reasons for divorce, right? Money. In America, for sure. Well, I didn't quite hear that. Would you put that question again, please? Um, the idea of financial disparity in America, oh. like working on a relationship where we live in a culture that's so driven by money and status in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, was that guiding? <laughs> yes. Um, in the uh, spouse acquirement syndrome problem of false love, uh, there's a lot of... Um, Oh, getting the trophy wife, uh, or in essence, the trophy husband, in that he's a big monetary success and things like that. False love usually is uh, a bigger danger among the very wealthy. And those who are high-status-minded and things like that, uh, they also have a a bigger problem with that particular form of false love. Um, In healthy real love, people can manage... um, well, you've probably heard this say that uh, couples say things like, well, we were real poor when we first got started, but uh, it was some of the best years of our life. That's a pretty common statement among some. Status, money, uh, things like that uh, sometimes get in the way of healthy real love and good-lasting love, and sometimes they can help because uh, with a fair amount of money, you can buy off all kinds of misery. Maybe not buy happiness, but at least buy off misery. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those things are factors which weave into the picture. Right. Yeah, and I think also money. For me, I see money as being tied to our own personal value system. And I think it can tug so deeply on our lower nature, I suppose. And and I feel like that always, for me, gets in the way of like a higher nature, more genuine love. Yeah, no, I think that hits on a really good point, which is how you're valuing yourself tied to money and then and then coming together. And I guess when, Dr. Cookerly, you were talking about, um, what do I want to say, of equality in like a mutual giving, I guess I was thinking about that that issue of if we're viewing money as tied to ourselves, then and one gives more than the other, how do you find equality? You have a specific story you're thinking of. I do, but I think a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. That's why I guess I bring it up. Yeah, it's almost embarrassing to talk about it freely, but, um, you know. Well, Dr. Cooley, we're we're out of time, but... um I there's so much more I want to ask you but uh, we'll leave it to I'm gonna I'm, the book just came out so I'm gonna grab it and dive in and um, spend all my Start time implementing on your yeah we're, we're <laughs> practicing putting it but into because practice. I really the next question is well how 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 can I you know be this great loving machine and I you know I think it's a life journey probably um, and I you know I know I've been on it for a while now but I, I do ge- genuinely look forward to um learning more about how to do this. Okay, wait. Well, Can you, Dr. Cookerly, give us, like, like a, for our listeners, like, a, a jumping-off point? Can you, like, you know, it doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. Like, somewhere so they, they can the first start. first thing you could, yeah. 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 <laughs> somewhere you can start. We don't want to leave them hopeless. <laughs> well, uh, the big point that I'd like to make sure uh, everybody knows is lots of people fail at um, 
love because they're in a false love sun, syndrome, but if they learn about that, they can learn to avoid it, or they can learn uh, to convert it or transform it into real love, or if that won't work, then they can learn to helpfully escape it. And uh, the book, Real Love, False Love, uh, covers how to do all that. Um, and, of course, I'm biased, prejudiced, and opinionated, but I think it's a fascinating read. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much. You are listening to Pushing Boundaries with TNA. We were speaking with Dr. Cookerly. You can find his work on whatislovedrcookerly.com and grab his new ebook, it, uh, Real Love, False Love, that he co-wrote with his partner of 40 year, 45 years? 40 plus. 40. 40 years. 40. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with Karen McLaren. And, uh, Kathy McLaren. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, Ma- I thought you were... Kathy yeah. McLaren. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you, Dr. Cookerly, and uh, yeah, you're listening to Pushing Boundaries. Tweet us at TA Sex Talk, and check out our website. Get in touch with us at pbwithta.com. It's been a real pleasure.